Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to This Week in Linux. On this episode of Twill, there is a new version of the Linux kernel bringing a ton of improvements. Solus Linux has released a new version of their distro. We've got news about the universal app formats, snaps, and flat packs. Then we'll dive into a variety of AI-related topics from Audacity to Volkswagen. All of this and more on this episode of This Week in Linux, your source for Linux good news. This episode of Twill is sponsored by Collide. More on them later. Linus Torvalds announced the latest release of the Linux kernel with Linux 6.7, and this release is a big one. It comes with a lot of improvements and some new features. 6.7 is one of the largest kernel releases ever, in fact. Over 17,000 non-merge commits and over 1,000 merges. So the highlights of this release are that the bcachefs file system was merged into this release. bcachefs is still treated as an experimental, but now it's mainline and continuing to evolve and improve. Support for Intel Itanium has been removed, which was an architecture that was started in 2001 and discontinued in 2020. And speaking of Intel, Meteor Lake graphics are now considered stable and enabled by default. NVIDIA GPU System Processor, or GSP, firmware is now supported within the Nouveau kernel driver. This means that there will be better power management and performance for the GeForce RTX 20 and RTX 30 series hardware out of the box without the proprietary drivers. Now, this GSP firmware support also allows Nouveau to support GTX or GeForce RTX 40 series acceleration for the first time. Also, the scheduling improvements have been made and other kernel optimizations, as well as many, many more things. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of the Linux kernel, you'll find links in the show notes. The Solus team is kicking off the new year with a big new update for the release of Solus 4.5. There are a lot of big changes for Solus users in this release, and here are the highlights. Let's start things off with the ex where the experience starts, which is the installer, because there is a new installer with the Calamares installer being used and replacing the older installer that was written in Python 2. This also enables easier installation using file systems like ButterFS and specifying your own partition layout. Also in this release, Pipewire is now there by default, which is fantastic. The audio stack that we've been talking about for a long time now, and I've been trying to get as many distros as possible to use it because it is just awesome, basically gives you the best of both worlds of Pulse Audio and Jack and many other benefits. So really glad to see that's happening. And also there's Rock'em or Rock'em support for AMD hardware. This provides GPU acceleration for applications like Blender and enables hardware acceleration or already accelerated machine learning. And also this release of Solus ships with the Linux kernel 6.6.9, Mesa drivers 23.3.2, and the flagship edition of Solus comes with Budgie 10.8.2. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Solus, you'll find links in the show notes. It looks like Canonical is putting some effort into working on making snaps work better across various distributions, which is great. Snaps currently work on other distributions now, but there are some differences to how they work depending on the distro that you're using. The developer, sorry, I'm going to say this name wrong, uh, Zygmunt Kronicki posted on his Mastodon account that he is returning to work at Canonical, and he also shared his plans for working on Snaps. Zygmunt worked for Canonical previously, and on his Mastodon, he posted that he is returning as a Snap developer later this month. His main focus would be cross-distribution support, and he says, unlike in the past, this will be his full-time job. 
He goes on to say that he is very excited for what is ahead for Snaps. And I agree with that sentiment for sure. I think Snaps are a great technology in some ways and need some improvements in other ways. So this is a very exciting news for the project. He also mentions in a later post as a reply to the thread that he will not be coming back alone. So it looks like Canonical is putting in some serious effort to improve the cross-distribution support of Snaps, which is great to hear, of course. If you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in the show notes. While we're on the topic of universal app formats, Flatpaks are in the news this week because the Flat Hub has announced they are working to make a better user experience and improve developer engagement by enhancing metadata quality. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Flat Hub has over 2,400 apps in the store, and that's great, but it also reveals some issues. They say, and I quote, while there are a lot of beautiful modern apps, there are also a lot of apps with low quality metadata, ugly icons, or out of date screenshots. This means that looking at the new and updated list on the FlatHub homepage, you get the impression that most of the apps on FlatHub are low quality. Now, to address this, FlatHub is implementing a two-fold approach, enhancing the metadata for all apps and introducing curation to spotlight the best applications. In its initial move towards improving metadata quality, FlatHub has supplemented its platform with detailed documentation for app metadata, In addition, a new review system for app metadata is being introduced where editors assess which criteria a specific app fulfills. This allows app developers to monitor their metadata status on the app page on FlatHub. FlatHub stated, and I quote, Our hope is that with better documentation and developer outreach, we can get to a solid set of apps with high quality metadata, short descriptions, good icons, correctly sized screenshots with good content, and so on. This is fantastic, though I will say that the example that they showed in the announcement blog post, which is Cody, it's an interesting choice because it says that it fails the quality factor of the lack of shadows on the images, but Cody is a full screen application, so there wouldn't be shadows ever. So anyway, overall, this is good news because there are even apps in the flat hub that have bad pages with bad metadata, terrible icons, and maybe they have a good icon, but the icon is such a low quality, it's super pixelated and have no screenshots and all of that sort of stuff. Yet at the same time, the application is fantastic. And you wouldn't know that by looking at the page on FlatHub. So I think this is really good, especially for new users who are getting into Linux for the first first time or just getting new to Flatpaks. I think this is really good and I think it will help a lot. So if you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in the show notes. Audacity has announced they are implementing some AI effects using the OpenVINO toolkit. This is really cool news. OpenVINO is an open source toolkit for optimizing and deploying AI inference made by Intel. In fact, Intel was a developer behind the suite of AI tools for Audacity, which is pretty awesome. Now let's talk about what these tools will do. For spoken word content such as podcasts, the OpenVINO effects contain a noise suppression and a transcription plugin, which is really cool, especially for for me who makes long form content. Transcription is very useful. Uh, For music, both generation and separation plugins are part of the OpenVINO effects. And the music separation is super interesting because it allows you to split a song into either its vocal or instrumental parts, which is pretty cool because it allows you to do your own covers or see how a song is composed and that sort of thing. Very cool. And uh, there is a catch though. Audacity is currently only offering prepackaged downloads for Windows users. It is possible to compile it yourself for Linux, but well, 
That's lame, Audacity. That's lame. Cool features, but that's lame. If you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in the show notes. Let's talk about endpoint security. When you go through the airport, for example, there's a security line to check your ID and then another line to scan your bags. And the same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. And these days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of that equation where they check the user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all in some cases. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has a firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop could belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide solves this problem, this device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on your devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD or bring-your-own-device phone and laptop in your company. So visit thisweekinlinux.com slash collide to watch a demo and see how it works. That's thisweekinlinux.com slash K-O-L-I-D-E. I was recently on an episode of Linux Unplugged, a podcast from Jupiter Broadcasting, and I acted as sort of a referee for their 2024 predictions episode. And in that episode, Brent made a prediction that a distro will announce AI integrations this year, and that might already be coming true within the first couple of weeks. It's FOSS is reporting that Deep in Linux is working on AI integration for their distro with AI enhancements to photos and AI integration with their Deep in IDE. I don't know if this actually counts, Brent, as a win for you just yet, but maybe, just maybe. If you'd like to learn more about this news or if you'd like to check out the episode of Linux Unplugged that I was involved in, you can find links in the show notes. Volkswagen has announced this week at the CES 2024 in Las Vegas that they have plans to add AI-powered chatbot into all Volkswagen models equipped with its IDA voice assistant. These plans are for integrating ChatGPT into their cars for the novel purpose of enriching conversations. Okay, to be fair, it's a bit more than that, but that is a funny way to start off your reasoning for doing it. They say, and I quote, enriching conversations, clearing up questions, interacting intuitive language, receiving vehicle-specific information, and much more, purely hands-free, end quote. Now, considering the fact that ChatGPT has been proven on multiple occasions to just make up stuff out of thin air, the clearing up questions portion might not result in the best use case, clearly. It is certainly an interesting thing to be introducing, though it might be a tad bit early. The feature will come to Europe first and is being considered for customers in the U.S., though plans have yet to be finalized on that. I think it's interesting, and I'm very curious to see how it comes out, comes through and how it works overall, but uh, ChatGPT is not the most reliable thing, and I don't know if I would want to have something like that directly involved with my daily driving, but who knows? It could work out, and I guess we'll see. If you'd like to learn more about this, links in the show notes. Thanks to the big push of AI these days, it looks like your keyboards may be getting some new AI-related adjustments. Microsoft announced that they're going to be adding a new key to the keyboard layout for Copilot. 
This is the first time Microsoft has made adjustments to the standard Windows keyboard layout since 1994 when they added the Windows key. Obviously, this key will open up the Copilot Generative AI Assistant within Windows, and Ars Technica asked Microsoft if a Copilot key would be required on OEM PCs going forward, and they said that the key isn't mandatory now, but that they expect the Copilot keys to be required on Windows 11 keyboards over time. So that's pretty interesting. The having an extra keyboard just for a or extra key just for AI stuff is pretty interesting because you could just associate that to whatever you want, but that AI is making a lot of changes in the world, it seems, including your keyboard. If you'd like to learn more, links in the show notes. We talked about Cody earlier in the flat hub topic, and I just thought I'd mention that Cody Foundation have just announced the release of a new version of the Cody Entertainment Center. Now, this release does not come with uh, any big new features, but it does come with a lot of like bug fixes and assortment of backports and a lot of other stuff like that. So if you'd like to learn more about Cody, you'll find links in the show notes. This year, OpenWRT will be celebrating 20 years of the project. And with that, they recently announced that they are working to bring their own in-house hardware to the market, which will be called OpenWRT One. For those unfamiliar, OpenWRT Project is a Linux operating system targeting embedded devices, and a lot of these devices being network routers. This community-driven hardware platform would be called, and I quote, OpenWRT One slash AP-24.xy. Not the smoothest naming scheme, but there you go. They have posted on a forum thread about this, including hardware specifications for the platform, and they are aiming for a price below $100. Now, OpenWRT has partnered with the Software Freedom Conservancy, or the SFC, and Banana Pie, or BPI, for distribution of this new piece of hardware. And it's also important to note that this is a proposed device. It's currently just a concept phase right now, but they are working to make it come to fruition. So this is pretty cool. If you'd like to learn more information about this, you'll find links in the show notes. Let's talk about firmware updates. And more specifically, the project that has recently hit a huge milestone of supplying more than 100 million firmware updates to Linux users. And that project is LVFS slash FWUPD. I know that just rolls right off the tongue, right? For those unfamiliar, LVFS is also known as the Linux Vendor Firmware Service, and FWUPD is a system daemon to allow session software to update firmware. Or as I like to refer to them as, LVFS instead of that, it's LVS, and FWUPD is now FWUPT. In addition to this massive milestone, there is also a new version of FWUPT that was released with FWUPT 1.9.11. FWAPT 1.9.11 adds improved handling for ignoring recovery partitions during ESP selection, checking for CET and SMAP presence on AMD or non-Intel x86 CPUs, faster Synaptics MST device enumeration, and a variety of other fixes. So if you'd like to learn more about the LVSS or LIVS and FWUPD or FWAPT 1.9.11, you'll find links in the show notes. There's a podcast I wanted to quickly give some love to called Floss Weekly because for many, many years, they have been making episodes about free Libra open source software. In fact, they have made over 760 episodes of the show. And up until recently, the show was on the Twit network. Twit has decided to end the show, but they are also letting the show go on by handing it over to the former host. And it is now being hosted by Hackaday. 
For those that don't know, I was inspired by Twit or This Week in Tech for the name of this show, Twill or This Week in Linux. And I have been a guest host multiple times on Floss Weekly Podcast, so I'm glad to see it being continued. Twit ran the show for 17 years, and that's incredible. And it's very cool to see them let Jonathan Bennett and the rest of the team take it from there. If you'd like to learn more about this or check out the podcast for yourself, links in the show notes. The Vim Project has announced a new release of this iconic text editor with Vim 9.1. Vim 9.1 now supports Vim 9 classes and objects for the Vim 9 scripting language. It also has a new defer command and smooth scrolling support and much more. If you'd like to learn more about this, you can check out the show notes with the links. But also, this is the first release since the passing of Bram Moliner. And if you'd like to learn more about Bram and Vim's history overall, then I suggest checking out the link in the show notes for episode 335 of Destination Linux, where Jill gives a wonderful tribute to Bram. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show and want to be kept up to date with what's going on in the Linux and open source world, then be sure to subscribe. And of course, remember to like that smash button. If you'd like to support the show and the Tux Digital Network, then consider becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com membership. When you become a patron, you get a lot of cool perks, like access to the patron-only sections of our Discord server and much more. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt, which I'm wearing right now, at tuxdigital.com store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other great stuff we have, like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and so much more at tuxdigital.com store. I'll see you next time for another episode of Your Source for Linux Canoes. Thanks for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell. I hope you're doing swell. Be sure to ring that notification bell. And until next time, I bid you farewell.